1: Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks on the Move. I'm Corey Johnson. Today, September 22nd, is episode 101. It's 101. That's a lot. All right. Well, just ahead, Adobe tells a tale about the future of marketing. Is anyone listening? And Stitch Fix tries to convince us that bloated inventories just don't matter anymore. And maybe they're right and from furniture to cryptocurrencies, the reinvention of Overstock.com. Yes, the same company that once accused me of being a tool of a global conspiracy and a foot soldier of the Sith Lord. I kid you not, we're gonna talk to the CEO of Overstock and hell yeah, I'm gonna bring that all up. But first, it's sponsor time.
2: The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era. customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy to use customizable interface. That's Era A-I-E-R-A dot com.
1: And we hope you found a way to make the drill down a part of your daily routine. Maybe it's a commute, maybe it's a dog walk. Maybe you're listening to it in your smart speaker. Try that, say, hey Alexa, play the drill down podcast. Make sure you subscribe and listen to the drill down every day. And The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that
2: matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S T.com
1: to learn more. All right, welcome to The Drill Down. I'm Corey Johnson. We've got the business stories behind Stocks on the Move, and we've got executive producer Isaac Webster. So happy about that. And he's got a whole lot, including three most important developments in the world of business today. Here we go. Corey,
2: we got to start with the Fed in the room. The Fed. The Federal Reserve signaling it could start reversing its pandemic stimulus programs in November and could raise interest rates next year. The Fed's next scheduled meeting is November 2nd through the 3rd. So we will see. And um, big news today. Biggies. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think we saw it coming, but sure.
2: We saw it coming. was not that, isn't that song? They saw it coming. They saw it coming. Don't sing. Please don't from sing. From Chicago. From Chicago, the musical, right?
1: I, I, yeah, I don't
2: know. Oh, come on. All right. Anyway, so everyone's been waiting for this Fed news, and we got it today, and now we'll see what happens in November. Uh, number two, the U.S. housing market cooled some in August. Existing home sales dropped 2% from the prior month as buyers pulled back. Supply tightened and prices eased, as we've been talking about. And August sales also fell 1.5% compared to a year earlier. Now, all this is according to the National Association of Realtors.
1: And that's the number of sales, not the prices. And we heard that from Lenar yesterday, when Lenar told us they could have sold more if they could have made more. They just couldn't get the product completed. They couldn't get land acquisitions done. So this this falls right in line with what we've been hearing.
2: Now, isn't that another song? Coulda, woulda, shoulda, da-da-da. No, no, actually, no, that's not right. Okay, let's move on. Now, we're going to stay. <laughs> we're going to stay. We're having too much fun. It's our 101 episode. Hey. Just wait. Now, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? No. Now, mortgage lender Loan Depot is alleged to have cut corners in, in an echo of the 2008 crisis. That's what, an, that's what an ex-executive is saying. A lawsuit by Loan Depot's former operations chief says that as Loan Depot prepared to go public... Its founder pushed workers to approve mortgages without documentation. Now, if you don't know this, Loan Depot, and I was not aware of Loan Depot before this story, Loan Depot is one of the mortgage industry's biggest non-bank lenders. So uh, very interesting developments here. It's always a telltale sign of
1: what companies are doing right at the end of a quarter, or especially right before an IPO and the way they make changes in their business processes to make the numbers look good to sell the stock. It's worrisome.
2: What are they doing? What are they doing? That's the last time I'm going to sing. I'm sorry. Weird episode.
1: Sorry about that. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with that giant software company, Adobe. Adobe, I think I've heard of it.
2: A-D-B-E is how it trades. Shares fell today, but they've gained 28% in a year, just underperforming the S&P 500 over the past 12 months.
1: Yeah, that's not great. You'd think the company in the world of digital anything would be exceeding everything in the last year, exceeding the S&P 500. And the stock performance has not, but the company has. They put up a quarter, they announced today, that was, I thought, super strong across most metrics. Um, as you mentioned, shares down a little bit today, whatever. The thing that I got a better understanding about today that I had not had before, was something with a horrible name, the Adobe Experience Platform. It sounds like a stage for Ooh. Jimi Hendrix.
2: Or it sounds like uh, a tent at Coachella.
1: Right, like right. the experience platform.
2: That's where I would hang out.
1: With with Lady Gaga. And yeah, yeah. So the experience platform apparently is a marketing platform. But I got a cogent explanation of it finally from CEO Shantanu Narayan, who I think is terrific. Um, and Shantanu Narayan talked about the experience. And it doesn't matter what kind of company you're in, what kind of business. All of our listeners, they could be in oil and gas. They could be in healthcare. They could be in technology. They could be in media. Whatever. Whatever business you're in, you've watched this happen where – the first technology in your business was a website. And the next thing was trying to figure out what was going on in the website with analytics. And then it moved on to more. And Maybe you start to think about marketing messages and that a digital marketing platform was a uh, table stakes uh, in, in, during the pandemic and a presence and commerce and data and insights into that data and analytics for that data. That's just where you start. And these guys making the case, Shantanu Ryan in particular making the case in their conference call That what might have started with a website and went to analytics is now taking the marketing message all the way through with a profile of the customer, understanding the behavioral data of that customer, collecting it in real time, giving a marketing message to those people to keep them engaged with your your product. And whether it's, you know, consumer businesses, the healthcare industry, he says, uh, they're all starting to use this Adobe experience platform Interesting case from CEO Shantanu Rai.
0: I think everybody started with a website. Everybody started with the analytics. But I think where we've delivered the Adobe Experience platform and what we are talking about, our personalization, I think that's a key differentiator. And, you know, whether you're a B2B company or a B2C company, uh, you just have to invest in this particular business. And uh, I think the team's done a particularly good job, both of messaging in different uh, industries, the healthcare industry, for example, continues to do well, and there's more interest associated with that. Uh, the consumer businesses are starting to see a little bit of a, a comeback as uh, you know there's a little bit more normalcy, and so you know a lot of them we're going after existing customers, we're going after new logos, and you know selling uh, more. But I would say it's the strength of the experience platform, the ability to have these profiles, the behavioral data that we're collecting in real time the marketing message associated with telling them that uh, they really need to focus on getting their first-party data to be an asset that they could put on their balance sheet and the nature of uh, what's happening with digital commerce. I think all of those are trends.
1: Um, And indeed, trends that uh, all kinds of businesses are starting to look at and and understand um, that acceleration towards um, digital transformation. Drink, drink. uh, the digital transformation uh, of all kinds of companies starts to follow that, where they're really following their consumers across all the things that they do, or at least they want to.
2: Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's
1: look at Stitch Fix. Stitch
2: Fix, uh, Stitch Fix trades under S F I X. Fix shares rose almost 16% today, and they've gained 30% in a year. What's going on with Stitch Fix?
1: So Stitch Fix has maintained from the early days, thanks to a very concerted marketing effort, uh, not least, is that they're not a a clothing retailer at all, that in fact they are a uh, technology company and they've commanding technology margins. And they insist that we're a technology platform, we can customize what people want for clothing, we're a marketing platform, we can figure out who our customers are and how they'll keep buying from us. And our technology will lead us to succeed in ways that retailers never could. I've, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I buy it, but uh, as you mentioned, the stock's done just fine up a ton when they announced revenues Uh, yesterday for the most recent quarter uh, up 29% year over year $571 million Um, just a fantastic uh, um, quarter for these guys. Looks like they're going to do 2 billion this year in the trailing year. And now They grew clients big time, 18% increase in clients to 4.2 million clients. Um, Revenue per active client up 4% to 505 bucks. So the average client order is 505 bucks, or at least for the whole quarter. Super impressive growth with women's growth with kids growth in the UK and growth in inventory. Now, back in the day when I was a short seller, there was one consistent metric above all others that showed a company is about to have a problem. And it was when the inventory went up. Stitch Fix inventory went up by $87 million. Um, now they have launched a new program called Stitch Fix Freestyle. Uh, I mentioned that because you're gonna hear it in the sound bite in a second where the CEO talks about it in, in passing. But with Freestyle, you're buying stuff that Stitch Fix is in, in inventory. They're not just ordering a just-in-time or whatever, ordering from other providers. They've already bought the stuff. They own the stuff. They think they can ship it out to you faster and fill the orders faster without getting stuck with the inventory, which is always the problem in inventory. And maybe they're right. Inventory compared to last quarter for this company was flat, but that's a lot bigger than what it was a year ago in COVID. And guess what? People can't get inventory these days. Maybe it's the smart move right now, but the number of inventory turns for this company is going to go up compared to the old numbers. And like I said, historically, there's been nothing but A bad signal for most companies. Still, uh, CEO uh, John Jaffe saying the quarter on quarter, they're flat and year on year. Yeah, it's going to go up because things are different
0: now. Quarter on quarter, we're flat. uh, And you're right, year on year. Uh, Of course, uh, a year ago, inventory was in a precarious position for us simply due to COVID. So that's probably not
1: the right comparable. Uh, We do. We are... um, you know, we, we did buy in advance
0: of supply chain to some extent. Uh, we're also increasing selection, as Elizabeth said, and we're going to continue to increase that selection going forward. And, and looking for the rest of the year, uh, you know, we probably won't be back to historical turns that we normally would see. Uh, and
1: that's, again, because we're very focused on increasing the selection for freestyle. Uh, that being said, I think by the time, you know, in the back half of the year, we're targeting more of that four to five uh, on turns basis, uh, but again, it's very dependent on the selection we bring in. So, uh, you know, I'm going to keep an eye on this one. Uh, some this might be the only time in history that having a lot of inventory is really good for a business because you just can't get product to sell. I say the only time in history, but the only time lately because of the problems with shipping in the world. But we'll see.
2: Corey, what is your next drill down?
1: FedEx. Once known as Federal Express. FedEx
2: trades under FDX. Shares fell 9% today, and they've declined 5% over the past 12 years. Or, I'm sorry, 12 months. Um, declined 5% like over the past years. 12 months. <laughs> right. right, yeah, I mean, the last year has felt like 12 years. Um, but yeah, 5% decline in a year for FedEx. Uh, what's, what's
1: going on here? So they reported uh, quarterly numbers, uh, and the numbers were... You know, pretty good. I mean, you know, the very mm-hmm. strong demand, very strong pricing conditions for them are really as good as they've been a long time. Revenues of $22 billion at 14%. You think that'd be a really good thing for this company, but their profits fell. I'm going to use operating income because there's a lot of um, weird things that come in their income statement below that. But operating income fell from $1.6 a year ago to $1.5 this time around. Uh, and their operating margins, of course, obviously declined from 8.2% to 6.8%. So operating margins are going down, more revenue, and yet profits falling uh, substantially. And they just didn't do a great job managing inflation in their business. And uh, their co- other cost growth, not just labor, but they had a 9% cost growth. If you, if you take out labor costs, that was worrisome not least of which because they're going into their big season when they've got to hire a lot of people. Now, they think that they will be able to hire all of the people that they need, 90,000 people in the fourth quarter, in the fourth calendar quarter, um, because that's what they need to get through the holidays. Even though every company out there is telling us it's hard to hire. Forget raising pay. Yeah, you got to raise pay, but just getting the people is really hard. 90,000 people, where... All all here in the U.S., or is that across the globe? Uh, I think it's everywhere. But regardless, that's a lot of people to hire and when hiring a, conditions are very hard. Yeah, every that's a tall order. Saying it's not just expensive, but you just can't find the people to do that. We know that there are more, thanks to the JOLTS data, that there are more open jobs, thanks to the Labor Department's JOLTS report that comes out every month, there are more open jobs than there are people available to fill them. So even if you took every unemployed person – And gave them a job, there'd still be open jobs, even if they had those skills. FedEx, however, is saying things are getting a little bit easier. Now, Wall Street doesn't believe them, but here's a chief operating officer, Rajesh Submariam. And he has got a a, a take that, you know, things are getting easier. We're going to be able to get all the people that we need.
0: The last two weeks, uh, we have seen pockets of uh,
1: opportunity and, you know, um, know, um, positive changes that we hadn't seen in the first quarter. So that gives us a little bit of encouragement, and this is a systemic issue. And uh, so, yes, we're making some assumptions here in terms of a labor availability. But if we staff up for peak, then you know, hopefully, we you know the Q3
0: will be in good shape. So we're making, you know, we're not making dramatic assumptions here in terms of Q3 and Q4. But we are assuming that Q3 is going to be better than Q2, is
1: going to be better than Q1, and the early indication, just very early indication is that that's indeed the case. Now, on one level, you'd think they would know, but if you look at the results they just put up where their operating margin declined by so much, maybe they don't know. All right, well, coming up, overstock.com. Can't believe we're talking to these guys because they once suggested that I was a tool of a global conspiracy trying to take down the company. Well, I'm gonna talk to Overstock CEO, Jonathan Johnson, about that nuttiness and maybe more importantly, the new look at overstock.com. But first...
2: The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's
1: B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. And the drill down is brought to you by Indeed. you pay for a job site, you should know what you're getting. Get Indeed and pay only for the quality candidates who meet your must-have requirements. Don't just hope for the perfect candidate. Indeed's hiring tool will help you cut through the noise and hire faster and smarter. With Indeed assessments, you can choose from 135 skill tests. Make sure you're finding applications for people with the skills that you need. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, and one and a half times more hires than even internal referrals. So join more than three million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent Fast. Get started right now. Drill down listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade their job post at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's right, a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash drill down. That's Indeed.com slash drill down. Offer valid through September 30. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined right now by Jonathan Johnson. No relation. He is the CEO of Overstock. Company we've followed. It's been through a lot of changes over the years. Overstock today is not what Overstock was in the past. But Jonathan, when you took over, you I think you said something to the effect of, in your first conference call, we're doing 20 things, none of them well. What are the things that you are doing right now? Because from the results, it looks like they're going well.
3: Well, we're focused first and primarily on being an e-commerce company that provides dream homes for all. We're at home furnishings. We're at home furniture. That's what we're focused on. Uh, Overstock over the years has morphed from being a liquidator to a general merchandiser to what we are today, an online home furnishings company. We are also less focused on our blockchain investments. We've outsourced those to a venture capital firm, which runs them well. We expect they will make money and we'll make money on that together. We're focused on being an e commerce company.
1: So let's talk about that. So, home furnishings, um, the business has really, really changed in the last, I'm going to call it 10 years. I spent a lot of time researching in uh, the furniture business, probably like go 708. That was kind of my, my, my housing bubble play back then, was furnishing. I probably should have been short Lehman Brothers instead, but n- note to self. But uh, uh, leverage works both ways, right? But uh, what, what we've seen in the furnishing business is, uh, I, I would say the two biggest changes in the last, again, 10, 12 years has been uh, movement towards manufacturing in Asia for everything, not just the big case goods. Um, so a lot cheaper stuff as a result. And uh, purchasing online. You guys in your uh, earnings presentation last time around said that a third of all home furnishings were purchased online last year.
3: Yeah, that's, there's a real secular shift. And you, pre-pandemic, that shift from brick and mortar to online was probably occurring one to 2% a year. And pre-pandemic, it was at about 23% of home furnishing products were purchased online. Now it's mid thirties. It got as high as 42% during the pandemic. And I think that's changed for two reasons. One, people were forced to try it during the pandemic and found that it was pretty easy. Uh, And second, the technology's just improved, uh, whether it's augmented reality or virtual reality and seeing product uh, in your space, uh, whether it's the increased video uh, and descriptions that are online, it's it's a lot easier to purchase furniture today than it was a decade ago.
1: Yeah, I had a conversation with some friends at Unity, the video game engine maker, at least I would, dis- would have described them as such. And yet... But they told me that they're actually having a a lot of sales and indeed even the companies that make furniture to sort of show how you can use a 3D gaming engine to imagine furniture in your room. That kind of thing was unimaginable even a few years ago.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we're exploring things like that, too. Uh, Technology just makes things easier. And then, you know, expectations change. You know, two decades ago, no one could imagine buying books online. Today, if we buy physical books at all, it's always online. A decade ago, people thought, oh, you'll never be able to sell clothes or apparel online because of color and size and fit. Today, that's how most clothing's purchased. And that's where we're going. I think there's been this this secular shift in home furnishings and it's been great for overstock.
1: And you you couldn't have had... Um, a better sort of environment for you know you, you I'll give you some credit say so you were ready for this change, but with the pandemic you really did have as you said people kind of forced to shop online, but you also had improved balance sheets the the stimulus programs seemed to have worked if the goal was to put money into pockets and have people spend that money, and so they spent that money in their homes because they were cooped up in their homes and you guys were just right in the right place at the right time but i but I wonder what do you see in terms of lasting behavior and how that's affecting overstock?
3: Yeah, so we were in the middle of a turnaround before the pandemic started. We'd gone from having twenty seven key initiatives, which was like having no key initiatives to four, really focused on what we were doing twenty seven key initiatives um, yeah, I mean it's just you know it's 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 an oxymoron um, and so. We really got focused, and I think the pandemic, as this tidal wave of business came in, uh, hid the fact of some fundamental operational improvements we've made. And Warren Buffett has uh, often said, only when the tide goes out do you discover who's been swimming naked. Uh, this you know
1: tide, I don't know. My listeners know that that's my favorite Buffett quote because I say it all the time.
3: Well, that's good. That's good. I, and we had this tidal wave of, of pandemic inspired business. And now that we've kind of lapped the beginning of that, uh, Overstock is still growing. And I think it's because we've made fundamental operational improvements while many of our competitors, their year over year results, they're shrinking. And so I like to say the tide's gone out. And it's clear that Overstock is wearing an operational wetsuit. We're not swimming naked. We, we've we spent time improving our business, and it's it's showing in the results.
1: I wonder, too, though, what is, uh, and I'll agree with you, it looks like the results are still tight and, 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 and afloat. Uh, but it, I wonder how much is about changing consumer behavior. If consumers, for example, will continue to not go to furniture stores to buy the furniture that they want, the the industry used to believe you had to get a butt and a seat to sell the seat. Um, obviously, some of that changed out of necessity, but you wonder if there are permanent long-term changes. Similarly, uh, corp- individual balance sheets are so much stronger than they've maybe ever been.
3: Yeah, so individual balance sheets are strong. I mean, people's savings, savings rates are high. I do think the furniture business is in a, in a macroeconomic good place, work from home and hybrid is not going to stop and people are going to spend more time in their homes and more time on their spending on their, home, on their home furnishings. People are expanding their living spaces from the four walls of their homes to the four corners of their property. Um, people used to think you couldn't sell clothes online. You can and you can sell furniture and we're proving it can be done. And I think this shift to, online is still growing. You know, when it's mature, will it be 40% or 60% or, you know, somewhere in between or somewhere greater? We'll wait and see. But people value convenience. And I think particularly, once you've done something online and found that it's easy, rarely do you go back to doing it. Frankly, furniture shopping is not fun going to a big box store and walking around. Uh, but when you can scroll through millions of products online quickly and find what you need quickly, uh, furnishing your home can be a, a lot of fun.
1: Marcus, let's get to the find what you need. The, the woes we are hearing about uh, importing anything um, go across every single industry we can imagine and some we can't. Uh, I wonder what, but one of the first ones you got to think about is is furniture. What are you seeing? How is it impacting you? How is it impacting margins?
3: Yeah, so the supply chain uh, for the past 18 months has had kinks in it at different places. At the beginning of the pandemic, it was the manufacturers themselves were shut down in in China. And many of our suppliers moved to Thailand and Vietnam and and other places. Uh, Then there was a kink in the delivery from the warehouse to the consumer. Uh, UPS and FedEx were overbooked. And last fourth quarter, everyone was fearing what was called Shipageddon. We got around Shipageddon by having accurate forecasts. Our sales had been high for months ahead of the fourth quarter that we could say, look, here's what we expect. Please have your trucks at at our suppliers' warehouses, and they did. Today, the real kink in the supply chain is the cost of freight across the ocean. Uh, and so we're working with our very distributed supplier base to help them consolidate containers, try and get value for them there. Uh, but Overstock has fared well throughout because we have such a distributed supply chain. We have nearly 4,000 partners, that's what we call our suppliers, mm-hmm. that that sell goods on our site. So if one is out of a mid-century modern black leather sofa, another usually has it. So uh, we've done well, even with a tough supply chain.
1: So you were, you were saying about uh, uh, what's going on with containers right now. And none when, when the of price, the prices we've heard are, are crazy. I mean, you know, cost of a container from China to Port of Long Beach, goes from $1,000 to $20,000 in some cases uh, in in the course of a year. What are you doing about that?
3: Well, we're working with our supplier partners to try and help them consolidate. You know, today it's just getting a container is hard. And so uh, when we work together with our uh, partner suppliers to help them, one, locate containers and two, consolidate in case they have less than a full container load of stuff, uh, it it creates synergies that are helping our business and helping theirs.
1: Um, and it's what's the very latest you're seeing in that? Is it the same as it was two weeks ago? I mean, you, I uh, presumably you're managing it on that kind of a daily basis.
3: A d- daily basis. You know, the containers remain expensive. The ports are beginning to be less clogged. You know, for a while, the ports outside of Long, the Pacific Ocean outside of Long Beach and Los Angeles look like the 405 freeway. I mean, they were just jammed up but those are running much smoother now. You
1: no, know, I see in the port of Oakland, too, I see the, the ships. Our studio's right here in the San Francisco Ferry Building. So we look out in the window, look out into the bay, and can see the ships stacked up. Um, it's fascinating uh, to see that kind of volume.
3: And we've, you know, we've helped our suppliers change from going into Los Angeles and Long Beach to going into Oakland or Seattle. Uh, we've been very active in, in trying to find the least kinked part of the supply
1: chain. What a, what a fascinating business to be in. I suppose it also a lot, well, you've got, if the containing co- container cost is up that much, um, you've got to be able to uh, raise your prices. You've got to need to raise your prices if you're going to keep uh, gross margins where you have kept them.
3: Well, well, you know, we do have a low gross margin business. We run kind of in the 22%-ish range for gross margins as the cost of, manufacturing as the cost of labor and shipping and containers and even the cost of raw materials has gone up. uh, We've worked hard with our partners to have them share a part of the cost, we share a part of the cost. We're really trying not to push it to our customers, particularly as there's this secular shift to online purchasing. We kind of view this as the Oklahoma land rush, Customers are discovering online. We want them to see the smart value that we offer. And so we work really hard to keep the, the, the price down to the extent we can.
1: So let's talk about your blockchain um, stuff. Um, I'm conversant in the world of blockchain. Uh, Overstock has, does, there's nothing Overstock could do that would surprise me at this point after all these decades of covering Overstock. But uh, you guys were deeply involved in blockchain in some I would say, I'm just going to say odd ways. You say you farmed that out to a venture capital firm, but you maintain ownership over the firm. Explain to me what, give me the history there and tell me where we are on that.
3: Overstock has been and is bullish on blockchain technology. We really think it's going to change the world just like the internet changed the world four decades ago. Um, uh, we have investments in 21 different companies that are using blockchain technology in areas like capital markets, central banking, voting, supply chain, all kinds of areas. Uh, When I became the CEO of Overstock, I had been president of our blockchain division. Uh, And when I started looking for a replacement for that president's role, I realized that these companies had matured to a place where they needed just the kind of services that venture capital firms provide greater management oversight, greater product-to-market oversight, uh, help and funding. And so what we did is we created a limited partnership. We're the sole limited partner, and Pelion Ventures, a venture capital firm, is the general partner that manages that. Uh, And as each of those portfolio companies has exits, uh, Overstock will be the beneficiary, is the sole limited partnership, and is the you know, keeping our ownership interest in those companies. And Pelion will have some economic reward too. So I think it's set up in a very nice economic structure so that we do, Pellion does better when we do better.
1: I, I was really struck by the announcement about Bit, uh, Bit Incorporated, whatever, uh, and the, uh, whatever the actual title of the company is. But the announcement that Nigeria was going to create the Inaria, uh, a digital currency um, in Nigeria, based on this technology that uh, your company or your venture firm owns um, seems like it's a massive opportunity. There's a giant, um, just because of, I, I so what, what uh, full disclosure once upon a time I worked for a company called Ripple that was very involved in the world of remittances and spend, spends a lot of time and has some grab what I think is great software and a great technology to offer cheap, quick, safe uh, remittances. A country like Nigeria that has so much remittances as part of their GDP. Um, And maybe we'll save that number for our bite later. But uh, that seems like it's a great opportunity.
3: We think it's huge. So BIT is in the business of helping central banks issue digital currency. It's done it in the Eastern Caribbean Central Bank, which is an economic union of eight different countries in the Caribbean. It's the second largest economic union uh, in the world after the EU. And it recently announced that it's doing it for the Nigerian Central Bank, as you mentioned, why I think this is, one of the reasons I think this is so important is in Africa and in Nigeria and you know, other countries in Africa, so much of the population is unbanked. They have jobs, they pay you know, their utility bills, they do everything that you and I do that's necessary to get a bank account, but they don't have a bank account. And without a bank account, They don't really live in the 21st century where they have digital currency like you and I do with a credit card or a debit card. As the Central Bank of Nigeria issues a digital currency, anyone with a smartphone, and by the way, even in developing countries, that's almost
1: everyone.
3: In fact, many people have two smartphones, even if they don't have a bank account. Now they can have they can enter the 21st century participate with digital currency in what you and I do every day. They can start buying things online. They can pay their bills online. They can be paid online. Uh, they're not keeping their fortune in a coffee can in their sock drawer. They're keeping it in a safe and secure digital wallet.
1: Which isn't a joke. I mean, that that is the way um, immigrants lived in this country, not, you know, a hundred years ago uh, with literally you know, on, no access to banks. Banks weren't could, you know that that is why we have Bank of America today. It started off as Bank of Italy, and it started off as Bank of Italy because APG Nini in North Beach in in San Francisco knew that his his friends and you know the business people were keeping they couldn't get bank accounts, were keeping money literally in sock drawers and buried in cans in the backyard. And uh, I think it's hard to understand the import of um, importance of digital currencies in the, if you're in the first world, you just don't know how bad banking is until you've gone through it.
3: Yeah, I mean it's ninety percent of. Africans don't have a bank account. And what Nigeria is, the largest populated country in Africa is doing is they're, they're trailblazing a way that I think most of the countries will follow. And BIT is helping them do that. And Overstock owns uh, a significant majority interest in BIT. And so it's, a, you know, it's something that is going to, I think, is going to bring significant shareholder value to Overstock shareholders over time.
1: Let me ask you finally. Um, uh, Overstock has been a controversial company. Now, people throw up broadcasters who are controversial and they don't know what they're talking about. Um, I try to not do that. In this case, this is kind of personal because your company, um, many years ago, CEO Patrick Byrne came up with this um, conspiracy theory that was evolved and published. And indeed, he he, he came up with this conspiracy theory that included me and and very specifically called me out as part of this global conspiracy of, of investors and short sellers and journalists and the Sith Lord, I'm not exaggerating. the literally called Seth thought the Sith Lord was running this operation to take down overstock. Uh, indeed I had a trepidation about doing this interview at all today because of my personal history with this company where this, this the CEO came out of the blue, your, your predecessor came out of the blue to attack me and lots of other uh, credible people with this very weird conspiracy theory, to be clear. I've never been short overstock. Neither have I been at a firm that's been short overstock. And and uh, I was this stuff was just weird. And it, I think, I think it leaves a stain on your company. It's certainly with Wall Street. I wonder what your experience of that history is.
3: So, uh, you know, I've been with the company for 19 years. I certainly know that history. I also know that we're a publicly traded company, and we have to participate in the public markets. And since becoming the CEO. Uh, we've done a follow on offering, a very successful one, a little over a year ago. We've had more uh, analysts, sell side analysts, pick up coverage on us that's very positive. I think every one of the eight analysts that's covering us has a, a buy or an overperform on us. Uh, we do uh, investor conferences. We do non deal roadshows where we know that as a public company, we have a duty to keep our shareholders. Uh, informed of what we're doing. We've changed the shareholder base, which when I became CEO was roughly a third uh, institutional shareholders. So very high retail shareholder base to today. It's over three quarters institutional shareholders. I think the, the street has seen that we're a new overstock uh, and that we're, you know, participating in the community uh, we're growing and, um, Investors are, are flocking to us and it, it shows not just in our operational results, but in how the results uh, of, of what the market has done is we've, we've been a, a big winner over the past year.
1: And what's your view to those who are short the stock?
3: Look, Overstock's never had an issue with short sellers. We had an issue with people that were trying to manipulate the shock stock by shorting it without borrowing and ultimately not delivering on their short sale. Uh, look, there are going to be people that think differently than I do and will think we'll do worse than I think we'll do. And they have the right to short the stock and good for them. I will note that, you know, one of the companies, blockchain companies that we've invested in, it's a company called T-Zero, which, you know, if you're in the trading business, you know the trades settle on trade plus two days or T plus two. Uh, We think blockchain technology allows Trades to settle immediately, or T plus zero, plus the name T zero. So uh, short selling is, you know, can provide liquidity. We just need to make sure that it's done in a way that is fair and and the trades settle quickly.
1: Yeah, I think any real short seller would agree with that. Uh, Really appreciate your time. Jonathan Johnson, again, no relation. We don't have a funk band called the Brothers Johnson. We ought to, though, Jonathan, I think. Uh, what more would you want is two white guys running a funk band?
3: Yeah, all I know is uh, <laughs> as someone who's completely tone deaf, that would be one funky band. <laughs> Indeed.
1: Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Overstock CEO Jonathan Johnson coming up next, the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. We're going to have that GDP percentage of Nigeria that is remittances. It is a huge part of one of the biggest economies in the world. We'll have that percentage. It'll blow your socks off when the drill down continues. The Drilldown is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself
2: an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription
1: and event intelligence. That's Era. A-I-E-R-A dot com. And The Drilldown is now available on Listen Notes. Go to listennotes.com. You can check out our podcast or whatever platform you are already listening to the podcast on. But if you do so, why don't you leave a review? Let the rest of the world know what it is that you like about The Drilldown. And let us know what companies you
2: think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod
1: and connect with us directly on our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down bite. that one number that tells us a whole lot. According to PricewaterhouseCoopers in 2018, remittances in Nigeria were 6.1% of the gross domestic product of Nigeria. There's your bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot, 6.1% of GDP. That's that's one of the biggest economies in the world, 25th, 24th largest economy, depending on how you're counting it. Um, That's $25 U.S. dollars being remitted to and fro uh, across Nigerian borders. Um, And, you know, again, as you heard from uh, the Overstock CEO, that we've got an opportunity to have that a lot cheaper, a lot faster, a lot more accurate for people that just don't have bank accounts. Um, and would be nothing but good for the Nigerian economy.
2: Yeah, I, it just seems like it's such, that is the growth opportunity right now. Are
1: right, you've been listening to The Drill Down. We do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.